Welcome to Luma and Bloom, the podcast that empowers and enlightens. My name is Nick. And my name's Kate. And together, our goal is to shine a light on the dark conversations. Luma and Bloom is brought to you by the Joy Smith Foundation. Welcome back to Luma and Bloom. I'm Nick. And I'm Kate. And we are here with two of our favorite people, our moms. Our moms. Jan and Jan. Jan and Jan. Jan squared. Jan squared, yes. <laughs> welcome, awesome welcome. Here. Are you guys excited? Nervous? They're sure. thrilled, you sure. can tell. Yeah. <laughs> They did agree to this, yes. even though it doesn't seem like it. They did. They were not strong-armed into this at all. <laughs> sure. Um, so, one of the very special reasons why we wanted to have both of them on the show is that they both have experience as mothers, which we think is really beneficial to a lot of listeners who may be raising kids, who may be concerned about you know, some of the potential pitfalls to raising kids in today's day and age with mm -hmm. the looming doom of human trafficking. I guess I'll lead out with a question. Yeah, let's start us off. I mean, I kind of know some of this already, but mm -hmm. mom, my mom, well, I keep kind of both my mom, so this is going to get really confusing, <laughs> but my mom, Jan. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Huh. Well, I was raised in a really great home, I have to say. I, my parents loved each other um, for 63 years, and, and uh, it was evident in everything they did, which was an, a great example to, to me. Uh, they raised five kids, and um, I was always on a farm, which um, kind of made me a weird kid because my best friends were in the barn, <laughs> but I think that my farm upbringing was um, really monumental in the way that my uh, mindsets were formed and the way that I did life. Um, it was very, um, it's hard to explain, um, but it was very uh, therapeutic for me to, um, to be raised in a way where I had freedom, I would go out, ride my horse all day and, you know, that sort of thing. And so that was, I had a, had a very free thinking kind of. You're a free thing. spirit. I'm a free spirit. I definitely am. I feel like and, I come by uh, that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we also, my dad had a, a really great gift in that he was able to purchase um, kind of run down farms and build them up into something really good. But then he'd sell and we'd move. Hmm. And so I had to move around a few times. And that was a bit tough for a really shy kid to always be the new kid. So mm -hmm. I think that also, um, you know, molded me into um, some of the decisions that I would make mm -hmm. later on. So but where are you in order of siblings? I'm two of five. Two of five. Yes. Okay. There was four girls and the baby was a boy. Oh, <laughs> baby so, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, it was. I had a really awesome. I think of my childhood as um, really great. I I can't, I can't think of a negative thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think it having that childhood 
made you want to continue doing that into your adult life? Yes, for sure. I mean, you you go to school, post-secondary education, um, you fall in love. That's the that's the guy you marry. That's you know. So I so happened to marry a farmer. So that was very good for me. I think I fit into the whole thing quite quite easily. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's not start talking about dad because there's a whole <laughs> slew of stories that could come yeah, out. Yeah, we had quite we had the, quite the courtship. So <laughs> we had a eight week engagement. Wow. So, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, you know, you know. I think you need to tell the story, though, like just to give a little taste of what dad was like, because I didn't hear this story until I was older. But when you had a boyfriend and dad had like you two were oh, on a break, the wedding, the wedding. Oh, please tell the wedding story. Um, we dated a few months and then we go our separate ways and then we'd see each other again and start dating again. And so it was kind of like on and off but in one of the off periods I had a different boyfriend and um, we went to uh, a wedding a mutual friend and he my husband happened to be one of the groomsmen so back in the day the whole receiving line was the the entire bridal party so you're shaking hands with total strangers Mm -hmm. but it's done a little differently now if they do it at all but anyway so back then so I'm going through the line and my boyfriend is standing beside me and we're shaking hands and my husband takes my hand and he pulls me in and he gives me a kiss right on the lips (laughs) right in in front front of of her boyfriend of the boyfriend and it was it was like whoops (laughs) (laughs) and I I think we broke up after that it was just like I had to go back to the Didn't OG. OG <laughs> <too> good. <laughs> the original. Yeah. He was too good. Yeah. Sucked you off your feet. He did. Yeah. Yes. Dad. <laughs> Dad has a big personality. He has a big personality. Yeah. So fast forward, an mm-hmm. eight week? Eight week engagement. Engagement. Yeah. And then how quickly did Miss Nicole come along after oh, that? Well, I know she wasn't our first sibling. child. Yeah. So we had our first uh, three years later. Three years after you were a young mom I was a young mom for mm. sure um I was 20 I got married at 19 wow, so baby like, yeah mm-hmm. I was pretty young but you know when you know what you want it's mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the right one we've been married for 42 years so yeah we had a son first and um some trauma with um his delivery and so on uh, so that was our first experience in health sciences with the Children's Hospital. Mm. He had um, neurosurgery when he was six months old to repair damage that was done during his birth. So wow. that was pretty traumatic, mm-hmm. watching the nurse take him through those doors, too. Mm-hmm. So that was my first kind of um, chink in my armor, mm-hmm. you know. thought my life was pretty perfect up until that moment. And, uh, yeah, I think I started to lose a little bit of trust there Mm. but and Nicole came along uh 19 months later and she had a completely different personality than my son (laughs) he was very laid back and um (laughs) I think at six weeks old he was sleeping like 12 hours straight through the night like I had no idea what parenting really was about I still don't sleep 12 hours (laughs) (laughs) yeah nothing's changed nothing's changed I don't think Nicole's ever slept through the night so uh, there were lots of nights when she was a baby that she would wake up in the middle of the night and had no intention of going back to sleep and Mm -hmm. I 
I tried my hardest to get this child to sleep. I finally, I just gave up and I'd take her into the playroom and I'd let her play. And I would take a nap on the couch in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was a lot. She mm -hmm. had a big personality and um, quite, quite the charming child. Very, sure. very, very, bubble, very, very bubbly personality. Yeah. You know, she was, um, she was the kind of kid that when we'd go to a, an event or whatever, and all these kids are running around and playing, and sometimes the moms would say, oh, she's going to sleep so good tonight because she was just all energy. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's Little not how it know. works. The more she does this, the less she'll sleep because she's just amped. I'm like a wind-up <laughs> toy. Yeah, you can't just unwind keeps going. it. <laughs> So yeah, oh, that was, that was one more after yes. Nicole. Yeah, both three kids. Four and a half years after Nicole, we had another one. Wow. Yes, but you also not to just throw this out there. Mom had you had a pretty pretty rough miscarriage I between did. me I and did. Victoria. Yeah, you know when you have plans, uh, God laughs. He's <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, our plan was we were going to have two kids really close together, and we were going to wait a few years and then have two more close together and. Um, when we had, when I had the miscarriage, I was alone at home and my husband was working, um, in a remote, uh, area. And, uh, so I had the miscarriage and then six days later, he got to a phone. This is before cell phones. Mm -hmm. He got to a phone and he called me because it was father's day. So he calls me and I'm saying, I'm sorry, hon, but we lost the baby. Mm. And so, yeah, that was really hard. It took me took me quite a bit to get over that mm -hmm. that loss but um yeah. mm -hmm. well miscarriages are hard no matter yeah. how yeah. far along you are because I think from the second I mean I'm not a mom but I'm speaking to three moms so correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong but I feel like once you find out from that very first moment like that's your baby oh yeah absolutely well and really the me. statistic is that one I think it's one in four pregnancies and in potential miscarriage. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you think about it, like most women, and it wasn't talked about no. back then, like mom kept her miscarriage very quiet. Mm -hmm. And so... But it, until you heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> she told the neighbors, my mom had a baby. Oh. It died. Oh. <laughs> and, I'm like, and then I had people coming to me and they're like, you had a miscarriage? I'm like, uh, apparently, yeah. Nicole's telling everybody I did, so... <laughs> Still got oh. a big mouth. <laughs> she was only four. Oh. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, it is. it is. It's something that a lot of women. You like, had one, too. Yeah, I ha yeah, I've had two, actually. So, mm -hmm. you know. And some, I know you've had one, too. I have. Yeah. See? Yeah. So, you know. We've all experienced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Three out of four women. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's yeah. it's tough, right? I just, I think it's it's good that more and more women are talking about those experiences now because I know you felt very alone mm -hmm. and I'm just you know relating what we've talked about now that I've become a mom that that was a very difficult time in your mm -hmm. life because dad wasn't home you didn't really have a whole lot of like support, support. Mm -hmm. and I mean we'll get to That's that true. later but that seems to be an underlying tone mm -hmm. to like a lot of stuff that you've experienced yeah. so mm -hmm. yeah well, you know, we think we have to be strong in these situations. I can do this thing and I'm, t I'm tough and I can handle it. And really we're just, I don't know, we're all, we all have our struggles. Mm -hmm. So, so true. we think we, we put on this mask for people because mm -hmm. they don't want to deal with the, the hard things. Mm -hmm. So did you ever feel like back then too, 
like it was it was taboo to talk about anything as a woman like you could never show anything but strength well i what what would you say you're younger than i am but still well <laughs> the thing that struck me um when i miscarried was um just the process you go through afterwards and it's such a clinical thing and it's at a time that you have so um, much emotion Mm -hmm. and I do remember at the time just being very focused on doing what I had to do and kind of getting through it Mm -hmm. and I think it did take quite some time afterwards mm-hmm. as well. I don't even know if today if I'm over it. I know, you know to be honest. Like I, I, I still think about that child. Yes. Um, I still think about that child, and so what it's, they would be. Yeah. Who mm-hmm. they'd be. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. So yeah. it's interesting, and I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't expect. I guess that I would have that strong emotion about it. Um, I, I I was early in my pregnancy. I was within my first three months, and I can tell you that um, the attachment was very strong. And I did just focus on doing what I had to and get back to the busyness of right. of life, and it was okay. Mm-hmm. So, do you think it's partially because back then? Do you feel like there was less permission to grieve given in those circumstances? Because even now, sometimes I think the medical system has gotten so much better with being very compassionate in those situations. But I remember the first miscarriage I had to the second miscarriage that I had. What a vast difference it was because... Mm the first time it was very impersonal like they tried to impersonalize it so much but well Mm -hmm. it was just a fetus and you know well no for for a mom who who wants and loves this child already it's not an impersonal Mm -hmm. thing you can't impersonalize it so I wonder if maybe that's part of it you know there's there isn't that compassion presence initially when that trauma happens then you're then you stuff everything down mm-hmm. and you don't allow yourself to grieve because you believe that rhetoric that well I shouldn't give myself permission to feel this way because nobody else is feeling this way right now and so I just have to stuff my feelings down mm-hmm. yeah definitely I don't think at the time there was an understanding that um, there would be a grieving process and um and so, yeah, I look back on that time and, um, you know, hindsight being what it is now, um, you know, I, I think that I would have given myself a little bit more room to grieve than I did at the time. Yeah. I had somebody actually tell me, well, you should be over it by now. Hmm. So that's, that's yeah, a bit hard. Roll. That's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. yeah. That you immediately should be over it by now. So yeah, yeah. that invalidates every Everything. feeling mm-hmm. that you're having. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we kind of took a little bit of a left turn there, but I think sometimes it's 
important to delve a little bit deeper into some of those things because as moms you know that's part of the reason why we wanted you both to come on here is just talk about some of the experiences being a mom and unfortunately dealing with miscarriage does end up being part of your mom's story in a lot of situations so mm-hmm. yeah I'm glad that you both shared you know your experience in that in that regard as the kids grew older did you find it easier or harder as they grew up as they started becoming oh, little people goodness. having that's a little question that's a loaded question <laughs> <laughs> let's let's unpack it okay <laughs> i i think that as for me i my i always wanted to be a mom mm-hmm. so um having children was just the natural um way of of my life like I wanted children and so I I poured a lot of effort into you know creating these little beings and and hopefully molding their characters a little bit into what is right and wrong and so on and so forth but taking care of their physical needs is the easy part I I began to recognize that pretty quick I really enjoy the baby phase and um, it's you know they get a little older and they start creating these real differences in their characteristics and uh, it's a challenge to try to not lump them all the same because mm-hmm. they're we have three children and they're each very uniquely different yeah and each one had required different methods of so true. discipline and, mm-hmm. and and whatever and um, Nicole could tell you how many times she stood with her nose on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I probably could have afforded to stand there a little bit more. <laughs> I really struggled with the spanking aspect. <laughs> I tried a lot of things, but um, I was know. a very stubborn. I, you know what? I think about it now and not to just interject here, but like as an adult now, I think back to like, I think I came to to you at some point in my adulthood and actually apologized to you (laughs) for how horrible. Being such a little jerk. Oh, like, because, you know, when you're a kid and, you know, I think maybe we should just get in, dive into this and talk about it. But like, how different was I before my dog attack? From from after. after. Well, there's a lot of things we can carry over. Uh, You are still your, you are still you. Uh, but before, like, okay, when she was really little and, you know, how the training thing is child touches something, say the stereo and they're not supposed to. And you say, oh, no, no. And she would take her hand away and then, then she would look you in the eye with a smile on her face and she'd reach out and touch it. (laughs) And it was, she was just constantly testing the waters, you know, Uh to see how, but her character was very bubbly. She had just the most charming personality. And she was the center of attention wherever she went. She was this beautiful little sprite of a being. And uh, she just drew attention wherever she went. So one thing that I, I wanted to point out was that when, you know, being as busy as she was, I would put her in these beautiful little dresses and, you know, frilly little socks and stuff. And, and then I would turn my back for a second and she'd find dirt like it was like it was a magnet the minute you put something nice on her she'd go for my love of gardening comes from I think (laughs) I have pictures of her with dirt in her mouth and I mean she was just but one particular time it got too quiet for Uh a minute and I went looking 
and she was sitting in the flower bin sifting the flower through her fingers (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like i as always i didn't know should i be taking a picture or should i be disciplining it was a constant battle (laughs) like with her because she was so so sweet about being naughty (laughs) so anyway what was the question i guess how she changed after the attack so Mm -hmm. she was seven when that happened Mm -hmm. and um i think there was a shift happened already in the hospital when she was recovering because she was quite um like i said people were attracted to her she was beautiful child and um when i would help her with her ivs and everything getting to the bathroom and so on i noticed that she would avoid looking in the mirror she didn't look up she was looking down and i asked her if she wanted to look and she's nope nope and so one day i don't know day three or four then she finally looked up and she just stared at her face and um, i said well honey what do you think and she said well at least he didn't get my eyes oh my goodness (laughs) she had something positive and all that but it was a shock it was a shock Mm -hmm. for her to see that and I think there's a shift that automatically happens with her whole sense of Mm self-worth and uh, realizing that she's not her life will never be the same I mean I think a seven-year-old recognizes that this will never be the same Mm -hmm. and so that's a heavy heavy thing Mm -hmm. for a child that age uh, so we we really went out of her way to try to instill in her um, that she was still beautiful and lovely. Mm-hmm. And she had this a crazy sense of humor and this awesome personality. Uh, but that the battle was real and it was it was a daily daily thing to help her to see the the good in life. As um, a mom, did you grieve? Oh, Any I grieved. Part of that? I grieved. Yeah, for sure. I. Uh, it's a hard. I, you know, when I when I ran towards her, she stood. The dog when the dog attacked her, she was stayed standing, mm. and she stood there stoically, mm. and didn't move. And I ran towards her, and I see, what I saw was two blue eyes staring out at me, and I don't think she had a idea of what actually happened she didn't cry Mm -hmm. nothing my first thought was how is she going to live through this how is how is this going to my like you know you think of a million things Mm -hmm. going through your mind Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. how is this going to work how are we going to fix this is she going to live how is she going to live so it's quite a it's quite a lot to take in and to for I don't know how long it took for me to get that picture out of my my mind um to really be able to heal yeah that way for myself let alone now i got i got to change focus and now it's all about fixing her Mm -hmm. do you think that you maybe stuffed some of your own trauma in order to be there for me for sure for sure you do yeah i think you do you do you know and and there was a lot of media coverage like they Mm -hmm. wanted everybody wanted uh, the reporters and newspaper uh, mostly newspaper back then um, but looking back I wish now that I had said absolutely no 
to all of them. Mm -hmm. Because it felt like with that media coverage, even a few newspaper articles, there was, I had random strangers call the house and they wanted to share their story and how their child had been attacked or even had uh, an investment banker because he was right away seeing, oh, there's going to be a settlement here mm. somewhere. Wow. So there's the sharks, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of taking advantage of yeah. a poor situation. Yeah. And there was one particular situation that I'll never forget, but it was one of the first times we had uh, af after the hospital and starting to recover um, where we went to church like we normally do. And one particular lady, Nicole, was standing kind of behind me, trying to protect herself. You could mm -hmm. see, like, the body language. She was trying yeah. to protect herself. I was mm -hmm. trying to protect her. And this lady reaches around me. She says, come I want to let me see your face. And I just mm -hmm. kind of blocked. And I'm like, no. Yeah. She does not have to show her face to you. Like, mm -hmm. back off. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had done that with, with the, the media as well. Mm -hmm. I really do. I regret that. I... It put undue attention on on something that I don't think benefited anybody. I feel yeah. like when you're a mom, you you kind of feel like your one job is to protect your babies. Do you think part of that grief process was, oh, yeah, I was did I, I was fail a as a failure. mom? I was a total failure. We were all there. We were all in the yard. And um, yeah. My husband, too, I think he, like, as soon as that happened, um, we all raced into action, mm -hmm. right? And he chased after the dog on foot. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what did you think you were going to do? I mm -hmm. asked him later, what were you going to do? And he says, I was going to rip his limbs off one by one. And I'm like, <laughs> that's a bad response well, right there. Well, hey, I believe you would. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, so, yes, we all responded differently. Mm -hmm. Um her older brother looked at her and threw up Aww. like everybody had their own response you yeah. know so I think it's probably important for me to state in here like I know because we're we do the video podcast and you know there's pictures and whatever I have had so many reconstructive surgeries yeah. like the way I look now is fairly like you almost can't tell that I have been through that type of facial trauma mm -hmm. But when I was seven, like, it was quite noticeable. Mm -hmm. Like, I, my, my face was very, like, disfigured. It was. It was quite lopsided. She had quite significant nerve damage mm -hmm. on one side, which all repaired itself. Yeah. I mean, I, in some ways, I looked like I had a stroke because I had lost mobility did, yeah. in one, in a couple parts of my face. So, mm -hmm. you know, like... I know people look now and they're like, well, how bad could it have been? And it's mm -hmm. like, well, time really is. A, and we mm -hmm. were told that with my scars. Oh, yes. The very first surgeon that we had, he was amazing. He was pretty much near retirement. So we knew we weren't going to have him long term. But he was awesome in the advice that he would give us. And he said, you know, I'm going to retire in a few years. And you're going to have these young hotshot plastic surgeons that are going to tell you what they can all do for her. But he says time is going to be the best medicine for her. Mm -hmm. And he's also the one that gave us references to um, child psychologist. And he also gave us a reference for a, I don't even know what the service is called, but it's within the hospital. 
and they teach you how to cover uh, scars oh. with makeup. Wow. Mm. And so he thought that would be quite beneficial for her. And so we did that when she was like 10, which he said, thus, this is early, but you know, it might help her to recognize that she could be able to cover all this without extensive surgery. So mm-hmm. little did we know later on that would become a huge asset. That was yeah. the thing that she, I could see as a 10 year old, she was totally intrigued by this, Wow, that her scars disappeared under makeup, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so I think that began that love relationship with, with uh, makeup. Yeah. Becoming a so. makeup artist. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, she's very good started. at what she does. Yeah. <laughs> sure so, yes. Well. Yes, he was he was awesome, and he was very good to give us uh, excellent advice. So mm-hmm. we appreciated that. That's a good segue into, you know, kind of touching on your experience as my mom when I was on the wrong path, mm. so to speak. <laughs> mm. And you know, that's what it's really why we're all here, right? Yes. Is is the issue of human trafficking, but. Mm. I know for a fact, you know, when we spoke about it later on, there was a moment in time where there was no language for you to really grasp onto about, you know, what I was going through at that time. So mm-hmm. do you want to elaborate, like, what what was going on with you as my mom when things kind of started to explode in my life? Unravel. Unravel. <laughs> <laughs> It's a difficult thing to pinpoint any one, one event. And I would be touching on your story a little bit too much if I, I went into that. But Well, you can. But um, <laughs> Nicole's first sexual experience was a rape, a date rape. And so, you know, as, as a mom, as parents, we didn't know about it right away. Uh, she wanted to hide that she hid that from us for mm-hmm. for quite some time. And so, you know, you don't recognize why is my child behaving this way? Right. Because she was always free spirit, um, you know, did her own thing. Um, and she made friends really easily. She loved very easily, got involved in things very quickly (laughs) she always jumped in with both feet so it's hard to pinpoint like a time where I I said oh my goodness she's headed down the wrong path because her character was so big Mm -hmm. and so I don't know do you I think I should probably mention part of the reason why I believe I pulled away for my parents after that initial experience is that it was the shame aspect of I had had opened up to my closest friend at the time about what had happened to me and the response she gave me was you shouldn't have been there Hmm. and just kind of turning it back on me like it it was your fault fault. which it was not no but I know that now but at the time you know, you're young and mm-hmm. you're a little bit naive yeah. and you haven't experienced enough and here your closest friend is telling you basically you shouldn't have been there. You shouldn't have been with those people because the scenario was I had made some friends very easily, like my mom had said, and I had gone out for an evening with them and ended up being date raped because 
you know, I didn't understand really like what was going on with me. And so obviously just blame myself and then hearing her say, well, you should have been there just kind of solidifies that. And I think it's important for us to really understand when someone is struggling with an experience they've had, especially a trauma related experience, it's important to acknowledge what they may be feeling in that moment. Because if you say something that solidifies those negative feelings of blame or shame Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, that's like hammering a nail in the coffin Mm -hmm. for them because Mm -hmm. they instantly take that as that must be truth. And then to work backwards to unravel that I feel like is extra challenging. And words are so powerful. Yeah. Words are so powerful. They they have such an incredible impact on what we think of ourselves, how we perceive ourselves. So it's, it's like, for sure. I think that was like the start of, I'm a bad person. I can't, I, and I, maybe I'm speaking for Nicole here, but oh, no. she would, she would say to me, like, after that happened, when she finally did tell us, she said, what decent guy will want me now? Mm. So there was that. And I think it starts to define a little bit yeah. of that sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it defines a lot low. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of that was like, I was raised with fairly like strong morals and, mm. you know, the whole idea of, you know, wanting to just save myself for somebody mm-hmm. within marriage Someone was really important to me. And so when someone took that away from me, I felt like I had lost all my value and, you know, not to just go down this rabbit trail, but a really huge challenge for me was not already feeling accepted by the Christians in the community that I was raised. And a lot of the rejection that I experienced was from the boys. And mom and I have talked about Mm -hmm. this a lot because I think we both noticed it more and more, but like I hated going to youth group because the boys were so mean to me. (laughs) They were not nice. So, you know, like it just kind of like, it's the same thing with the shame, right? when you begin to experience things that confirms a negative thought that you already have about yourself, it is really just like driving home those lies in your mind Mm -hmm. to the point where they become truth for you because your experiences Mm -hmm. and your false belief of yourself are intersecting with each other. Yeah. It's self-fulfilling. It's self It really, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it's not like they have to even say much. It's, you could just get a sense or a feeling from them that this is rejection in some form. And because of your experience, it is like just exasperated by a thousand, you know, it's, you already are accepting that about yourself and then somebody has just confirmed it. Right. Yeah. And so it becomes a bigger part of your psyche, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. right? sure. of for who sure. you are. Mm-hmm. It starts to define in a, in a much larger capacity who That's you are That's a good way to put person. it. Like it starts to define you. It does. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't. But it no. does. No. Yeah. As a mom, when you found out that that's what happened to Nicole how did you go about oh I want to kill somebody (laughs) (laughs) that's fair let's be honest 
And uh, my husband and I uh, did discuss that she needed to report this um, the way it was. And she was like, no, no, no. I... Yeah, I didn't want to stir the pot. She didn't want to stir the pot, Mm. you know? And I I think that is the sad part. What kind of a society are we living in where girls, where this happens to, don't feel confident that they are going to, um, I don't know if it's valid, be validated, but accepted that this actually happened? Mm -hmm. Because the first thing they say is, so did that really happen yeah. to you? Yeah. Is that really how it was? You're yeah. blamed for it. You know, it. You're, bl- you're already defending yourself before yeah. you even start yeah. with the report, right? Yeah. yeah. So in that regard, like my husband and I just really encouraged her to do the thing, get it, like report him, press charges, the whole bit. In fact, I think my son and my husband decided they would like to go find this guy and just enjoy, like... Meet yeah. with him personally <laughs> back alley somewhere. <laughs> Beat his legs with a baseball yeah. bat. <laughs> but um, she was adamant. And, you know, you can't force. You yeah. can't force. I, In my infinite old age wisdom, I would love to go back and change a lot of the way that I reacted to some things. And I would have loved to have said, look, we need to get some help in this. Well, that was actually going to be my next mm. question was... Looking back, is there anything that you would change? Because I think a lot of our listeners probably can relate to this situation in one way or another. And I mean, hindsight, you always gain a lot of wisdom. But is there anything that you would have changed or done differently or wish you had done or thought about? Definitely. I think we are very reactive as, as parents our defense mechanism kicks in. We want to defend mm-hmm. our family. We want to care for and nurture a family. And uh, I think that there was even one situation where Nicole got herself into at a wedding where, oh yes. Yes. And my son stepped in because he could see what was happening and he stepped in and he's, he tried mm-hmm. to get her away from the situation and she flat out get away from me. I can, I'm, I can handle myself. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was a difficult thing because he really wanted to step in and protect her from something. Right. And she chose not to accept that. And I think he took a, uh, he mentally took a step back. She's choosing this. And that's difficult because you like, we are geared to helping and when they refuse the help there's a hopelessness or a helplessness that we feel that I don't know how to explain it. Do you think that was part of you needing control over everything? I think so. Partially I think so. so. Mm -hmm. Just you know getting to a place where because I felt like I was so out of control at that point Mm -hmm. that anyone who tried to tell me what to do I was just like nope do the opposite yep do the opposite (laughs) I'm doing my thing yeah um tell us what you feel like was a luma moment for you oh I think my luma moment has only occurred in the last six months when Nicole has been challenging me to 
think about and write my mom's story mm-hmm. because we suppress so much of the emotions. We have to be the strong one. Mm-hmm. I remember riding in that ambulance, you know, three hour ambulance ride covered in blood and watching my daughter uh, chat with the EMTs like this was just <laughs> another little drive we were having. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this girl has no clue <laughs> what's about to go down. You were so worried. She, I'm sure. And and I'm seeing her whole future mm-hmm. unravel, mm-hmm. you know. So I think I suppressed a lot of things like we discussed before. I suppressed a lot of my emotions and so on. Uh, I remember very distinctly somebody saying to me, oh, you're so strong. You're doing such a great job. And it was like I took on this resolve that I am strong. I can do this thing. I don't need anybody. I don't need God. I can do it. And I did. But it's like you suppress those things so that you can do the, other, the, the most pressing thing in front of you, right. which is your child. There were so many things that I had forgotten, so many details that I had, mm-hmm. you know, brushed, brushed aside. Yeah. And so in just writing down a lot of that stuff in the last few months has been very um, cathartic for me. I've been able to really sort through a lot of things. And, and I think what I would say my Luma moment is that feel the feels deal with them and go on. Mm-hmm. I think we get a, a lot of times, and I know that there were a lot of times I would tell my friends or, or people that would ask me about her accident. And I remember so many times telling the story and I would just get to shaking. I had the cold chills, you know, yeah. and my, I recognize that, I was suppressing it. And then when people asked me about it, it was like, ooh, I was just vibrating because I was all full of emotion. Sure. So I learned to put those things to rest and not not bring them up because it was easier. And I, I would have, um, I think it would have dealt a lot better if I had just had my moment where I'd go out in the backyard and scream. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you try to suppress all that stuff and, yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's still a part of you that needs to heal some of that? Oh, I definitely have more healing to do. Mm-hmm. We're never done. We are. Never done. It's so true. <laughs> no. So I'm learning true. things from her every day. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All good things. You know, when she got out of the um, the trafficking, she moved home. Oh, dear. And we had four years. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> we had four years. And I would say those four years together, we needed those four years Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we had a lot of stuff to sort out. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of conversations that need to be had. Unfortunately, when she was in it, she lied. Like we thought she was somewhere doing makeup for the stars and and she was not (laughs) doing that. Well, this is really interesting. I really Mm want to dive more like more into this, I think, if you guys are okay with that oh, for sure okay sure um when she did go away what did you think she was doing where where did well, you think she was she had just finished her training for 
for cosmetology. <laughs> Let's settle it. Yes. You might be going here. against the wall with your nose again. I <laughs> might be going to put my nose against the wall here. No. no. So um, she went off. Uh, she was going to go to Toronto and um, get a job in the makeup industry. Mm. And it, for me, I'm like, well, at least that's something. Mm-hmm. At least she's doing something because that's not what I was doing. I know that. Okay. <laughs> Just so we establish that. But you know, I would call and I'd say, "So, how are you go- doing? Have you found work?" And she's like, "Well, I applied it at a restaurant, and I'm memorizing the menu." And it, she had told me everything I wanted to hear. Of mm, course, you know, yeah. she was really good at it. Mm-hmm. I was a pathological liar. Absolutely. She like, was. we'll just be real. Yeah, here. I she, don't think I, I knew truth from a no, lie at that point no. in my life. And so, you know, you want to believe that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. part of you is like, okay, we're good with that. We're good. This is something. Yeah. Right. But deep down inside, I knew she was not, mm-hmm. she was not doing what she said she was doing. Yeah. So, um, and one particular phone call that she called home and she was crying. And uh, I knew at that point she was in a in an abusive relationship. And so she was crying and she was telling me some of the stuff. And she had kind of hinted here and there at some of the things, but now she was really like, she was really upset. And while she was talking on the phone with me, he came into the room and she says, oh, I got to go. He's here. I said, oh, no, no, no. I said, don't, no, don't hang up. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to him. Can I talk to him, please? She goes, mom, don't say anything because it's going to go badly for me. And I'm like, no worries. And there was just like this steely resolve just in me. And I was like, I got this thing. <laughs> so I said, just give him the phone. So he takes the phone and I said, listen. He said, don't listen to a word she's saying. She's a liar. And he called her some names. Like, I am her mother, you know. <laughs> He's <laughs> telling me all these. Th- and I'm like, listen, I does it does not concern me what's gone on between you. That's between the two of you. Mm-hmm. My daughter is homesick. She would love to come home for a little while. I said, I happen to know there is an, a flight leaving at 9.15. And it's going to land at 11.15. 30 and we are going to be there to pick her up would you put her on that plane please and he said okay and I was like wow and he did that worked and he called his bluff yeah I called his bluff and he put her on that plane wow but thank goodness yes but unfortunately as she was coming down the escalator we're watching her come and hadn't seen her for a while and my husband leans over to me and he says she's just looking for a way back we could see she was coming mm. home right but she was already worried about how she was going to get back hmm. yeah i was so she was mentally so mentally at yeah. that point yeah. you know it's and we've seen it yeah. you know with other sur- survivors that yeah. just aren't aren't ready to get out yet no. or mm-hmm. are out and are just struggling like Mm -hmm. it is a whole it's not even Stockholm syndrome even though I think that's part of it you just you completely have changed your mindset according to 
what you believe you deserve in life. And mm -hmm. I think that's why it's so hard, even for women who are in domestic violence situations with an abusive partner. Like mm -hmm. you hear people say, well, why don't you just leave? Yeah. Which, by the way, and is just the most ignorant, silly thing to ignorant say. comment ever. But it's not that easy. It's not that mm -hmm. easy. And if it was, everybody would. Mm -hmm. Of course. Exactly. Yeah. So, yes, at that point, I was I was definitely looking for a way back. And you did go back. Right? I did she go did. back. Mm -hmm. She went back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As a mom, how was that knowing what she was walking back into? You know, if we could have trapped her, caught her, and tied her, <laughs> tied her up and kept her at home, <laughs> we would have. But, you know, we, are, we were so desperate to help her. Um, even prior to that, when we thought it was just a matter of bad behavior, you know, my husband and I would drive around the countryside looking for her car to see which party she was at, you know, like mm -hmm. all these things and people telling us this is just bad behavior. And then that's kind of ingrained in your mind like this is just bad behavior or just a phase. It's or, just, you know, yeah. right. And um, so you you start to believe that this is just bad behavior and this is her choice and so on and so forth and so i really didn't it was never on my radar mm -hmm. what human trafficking was mm -hmm. right i think that's where my upbringing being very conservative and in a relatively safe community mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. did not really think that things like that actually happened in real life mm -hmm. and um later on um after we started having kids, of course, we were also in, in a country environment, a very safe community. You don't think those things no. happen to your kids. No, you, know? you don't. You just, it's not even on your mind. Like, you don't think about it. It's like, yeah, how can that even be? Yeah. So when... A sense of security being so isolated and in a rural exactly. community. Mm -hmm. And really, that was probably detrimental to her because she was not very street smart. No, I am now. <laughs> no, she's very street savvy now, but not I, at all. Very think, trusting of people. Mm -hmm. I think, too, it's really interesting what you touched on is like traffickers are so savvy in the sense that they turn parents and children against one another. Just in that regard, you know, the parents get this sense of like, well, my child is misbehaving and it's a behavioral issue and you know whatever it might be or they're troubled mm -hmm. when really there's something so much deeper going mm -hmm. on yeah. and you know back then like this was 13 years ago like mm -hmm. this is and I say it all the time it's why joy is so incredible because I had no rights back then no. mm -hmm. there was like human trafficking wasn't even there was no language for it mm -hmm. I was just considered a bad kid prostitute a stripper whatever label they slapped on it and i could have been charged as a criminal mm -hmm. and nobody looked any deeper or further past all the pain and the struggles that i was having because that's just how we viewed those type those types of women back yeah. then mm -hmm. there was definitely a huge shift in her personality when we first met this guy hmm. we hadn't met him for quite a while and then we were suit shopping I don't remember what for my husband was buying a suit and she said we're going to be in the city Can she wanted us to meet this guy mm -hmm. and so I said well sure this is where we are come meet us and so 15 minutes later they walk in and I looked at him and I was like mm, whatever 
just a guy. And I looked at her and I'm like, my jaw dropped. This is not my daughter. Hmm. The way she was dressed. Oh, oh. <laughs> I remember what I was wearing. Do you? Mm. I do too, to, to a detail. Mm. She was wearing all designer, very skin tight, like the apple little bottom white jeans. fur booties mm. and the little white fur bomber jacket. She looked quite bougie. Bougie. Not bougie. Cheap. Cheap and expensive clothes. <laughs> I don't know. It was, and my first thought was he dressed her, he paid for her. Yeah. Mm. And. And I think that when he saw the actual connection that Nicole had to her parents, mm-hmm. he moved her to Toronto. Yep. That's that was a pivotal moment mm. in the whole scenario. So how quickly did... No, that was within a week, I think. Wow. Yeah. It didn't within take a long. Within a week of meeting oh, yeah. you. Because yeah. he knew that... He was my husband there. was gonna kill him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He also he saw dad. He's yeah. He's like, this guy means business. <laughs> I don't find your dad very intimidating, but <laughs> maybe you don't have others. a reason. You don't have a reason to find him intimidating. No. this is true. You have never made him angry. This is true. I, I hope. I do recall bringing an actual boyfriend <laughs> home at one point. That there is a whole story behind. Oh, it was actually. My husband used to say, look, if you can bring a guy home tough enough to beat me in an arm wrestle, bring it on. But he's got to prove himself. I like it. So my husband's the the only one that ever beat him in an arm Mm -hmm. wrestle. That's all we'll say. So there we go. uh, This one guy, we were going to meet him for the first time. And he comes over and we open the door and he looks at Dawn. He goes, just wait a minute. I think I got to go back to gym. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll be back. (laughs) Yeah, but anyway, oh, so yeah, it was pretty funny. He he's de- like he's formidable, like because he's a man's man. Yeah. So you know, to somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't have that sense of like inward security, of yeah. course they're gonna find him threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. So um, when you met him, did you know something was off? I just didn't like him. Yeah, you couldn't pinpoint. I could know. It. He was very smooth. Mm-hmm. He knew what to say. You know all those things. But we've seen those. We had seen those kind of guys before. Right. So, so nothing really stood Nothing out really, to you. no. Just the way she was dressed was my my alarm. Mm-hmm. That was the alarm bell. At, at what point was their alarm bells going off? Right you? then. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right then. That was, that was it. And I think he was very strategic because he met us in a public place. Right. Uh, it was all very surface, you know, mm-hmm. how are you kind of like sort of thing mm-hmm. so yeah. off she went off so. I went to Toronto to ruin my life even more <laughs> <laughs> at what yeah. point did you ever realize that this was more than just an abusive relationship as I say in air quotes because I to think be that's honest important. <laughs> with you there was Nicole had this moment and maybe you should share that moment when you recognized what you had been through actually was yeah and you know I've talked about it before I guess that's it's there's no harm in repeating it but really it was listening to one of Joy's presentations at that point I I think I had dealt with so much in regards to like my sexual assaults and you know the abusive relationships that I've been in but nothing had really given language to the complexity of the trauma that I had dealt with and the mm-hmm. amount of manipulation and 
the mental abuse and everything else. And so I just really struggled like to get that last piece of the puzzle. Like why, why did this happen to me? Like what, like what was this? I don't, I don't understand. And when I sat in on that presentation, her going through the process of grooming was like my, the biggest Luma moment I have had mm-hmm. in probably my entire life was just that finally it all clicked into place. And I was like, I was, this is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hearing somebody give language to what I went through, the abuse I went through, the manipulation I went through, mm-hmm. I just sat there and cried mm-hmm. during this informative presentation. Mm-hmm. And after that, like I went and talked to Joy and that was the first, like I talked to my mom about it. I told her the things that had happened to me, but again, there's a language barrier there, right? Because we, Mm -hmm. none of us understood it. And so Joy was the first person I had told my story to everything that happened, just laid it all out on the table. Cause I'm like, this lady's probably heard it all. And she looked me right in the eye and she's like, I believe every word. And it was just a moment if I like it was a spiritual experience where I just experienced instant release and freedom because it was like it was OK. It's OK. I was a victim. Yeah. And it just set me free from all the shame mm-hmm. and guilt that I had felt up until that point where I was just like this happened to me. It's not OK that it happened to me. But now that I have language to describe the trauma that I felt, it was just it was instant relief. And for me, when Joy was going through the checklist of what are the behaviors you're seeing in your child, like the the signs that something is probably going on, I started to feel this checklist was going off in my mind. I'm like, how did I not see these things? Mm -hmm. How did I not know? And the shame in that, you know. So, like I said, that four years where she was at home, we had a lot of things to unpack. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of of confession there's been a lot of forgiveness and and so on and and it's been it's been good it's been good to be able to to do that yeah and I just want to say like I know this this episode has been very much geared towards my mom and the dynamics with our relationship when I struggled but I can honestly say and I think this is really important for people to hear if it wasn't for my relationship with my mother I would not be here. Like my mom was my rock through everything. It was her unconditional love and not necessarily support, but that love that I knew was a safe place that I could run back to that actually kept me free from my trafficker. And so I, as much as I love and respect Joy and the work that she's done, like between her and my mom, you know, my mom has just been my rock. And I'm so grateful that God looked at me and chose her to be my mom, because I don't think I would have survived without her. So yeah, just Mm -hmm. if your child is going through something, even if it's not trafficking, just remember the unequivocal power that you have as a parent, especially as mothers to to just close that gap and let your kid know, you know, that you love them unconditionally. And you're there for them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think just to add to that, uh, I appreciate that, Nicole. That's really sweet. I think 
when we like mothers have that nurturing in us, it just we're born with it. And uh, some choose to ignore that, I guess, maybe. But I I was born to be a mom. Uh, that was my my goal in life was to be a mom and to be a really good one. And I failed so miserably in so many areas. But Nicole always knew that no matter what, she could always come home. Mm -hmm. She would come home when she was broke, which was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> she she came home when it's kind of hard when someone's taking all your money <laughs> and not be broke. But you know, whenever there was trauma or something, she she knew she could come home. When she was at home, she was very respectful of our rules. I have to say, she did not behave badly in yeah. our home. Mm -hmm. She she knew the rules. If you want to live under our protection. These, these are the rules. So mm -hmm. she never sh expressed bad behavior in front of us. We didn't see that. She protected it, protected us from that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think, oh, she should have shown us, but she was trying to be respectful of her upbringing mm -hmm. and um, respectful of her, her mom and dad. And she honored us. And, and in that, I can honestly say, like, there's she was she she clung to her upbringing in that regard mm -hmm. we hope you enjoyed today's episode if you haven't already please make sure to like subscribe follow us on our social channels at luma and bloom official and leave us a review where you can thank you so much for taking the time to listen today we hope you had your own luma moment